Today we're going to be wrapping up this little series on how to handle hard people, and we're going to be talking about dealing with drama royalty. And over the last few weeks, I've been thinking through this quite a bit because this, for some reason, was the hardest message for me to put together in my head. But I was thinking through my own family, not just immediate family, but my brother, brother brother-in-law, sisters-in-law, and aunts and uncles and cousins and nieces and nephews. And it kind of occurred to me after doing the inventory that probably... An equal number of men and women fit into the category of rocks of stability, which would be kind of the opposite of drama royalty. And then I looked on the other side and I thought about people who were drama, and it seemed like it was pretty much a 50-50 split there too. So we're not just talking about drama queens, we're not just talking about drama kings, we're talking about drama royalty. Uh, And I hope this is helpful to you. Now when we talk about drama, it's a little bit difficult to define, but if you go to Webster's, you're going to be very, very disappointed because the definition that you'll get in a dictionary is something along the lines of emotional, exciting, unanticipated series of events or circumstances. And that just doesn't cut it because when you think about your middle school drama or high school drama or work drama or family drama or the Housewives of Atlanta drama, that's not really what comes to mind. You're thinking of things that are a little bit more painful than that. And so to help us get into what we're talking about in terms of drama royalty, I really wanted to tell you a story from my own family. But we record these, and most of my family are still alive. So I can't share you any, any stories with you. And, and you could share some stories, but you'd be in the same boat. And, but I know that if we sat down together, we could tell some stories. And we would kind of laugh and roll our eyes because from a distance, we just look at the drama, and we just think that's just crazy. It's almost funny, but only from a distance because up close and personal, it's kind of painful. So I'm not going to tell any stories. You can't tell any stories, but I'm going to tell you at least one story from somebody else none of us knows. Her name is Irene Jang, and she writes this little piece in Chicken Soup for the Teenage Soul, and she talks about this friend from high school named Marissa. Now, if you are the Marissa she's talking about, I'm really, really sorry. I was trying not to be personal, but I'm going to to read this to you to sort of help us to get into what it means to be drama royalty. Uh, Irene writes, on the second day of freshman freshman year, he was sitting in the desk in the back of my second hour biology honor class, lanky frame, folded into a desk chair, dressed from head to toe in Nike apparel, which turned out to be his everyday outfit of choice. I took my seat in the front and wondered how on earth I had missed him the day before. He had sleepy blue eyes and close-cropped blonde hair, and I spent every biology class after that resisting the urge to turn around and look at him. The following months were confusing but also wonderful. It didn't make sense that the sight of someone I didn't even know that well could improve my whole day, but I didn't want to question it. I didn't expect anything to happen between us either, but the times we stopped to talk or laugh in the hallways when he teased me and pulled my sweatshirt hood over my head, they were all golden. After a month or two, some of my best friends guessed my secret, but I didn't mind as long as my parents didn't know, his friends didn't know, and Marissa most particularly didn't know. Marissa was that girl, fun to be around, good to know, but not to be trusted. Tiny and platinum blonde with a high, sweet voice, she was dramatic to an extreme. 
We'd known each other since fourth grade, which is why we remained friends, even though she constantly caused trouble in our friend group. Around her, I kept my mouth shut and hoped for the best. We were at a sleepover one weekend, and though the conversation started out innocently, the topic soon turned to boys. One out of the four girls that night, one of the four girls that night, Marissa, was the only one who didn't know my secret. Irene, is there anyone you like? She raised her eyebrows at me. I squirmed and laughed it off, but she kept pushing. It's not a big deal, she cajoled. It was, actually, to me. To me, this was the first guy who'd been anything substantial, but I knew she wouldn't understand, and not telling her in that moment would have immediately made things much worse. Okay, well, the following weekend there was a birthday party and everyone was invited. I'd been feeling a sense of impending doom since that night, but I told myself I was being silly and suppressed it. There was music, there was dancing, I went upstairs for a few minutes, and when I came back down, Marissa was lying on the couch with her head in his lap. I survived the rest of the night on autopilot. I danced, I ate, I laughed, and I avoided looking at the couch in the corner with all my might. Now, Irene goes on and she talks about the gospel that followed. She talks about how she confronted Marissa and told Marissa how painful this was. And then Marissa did not respond very kindly to being confronted. In fact, Marissa turned around and started poisoning everybody that she could against Irene so that this was the last year Irene could stay in the school. She had to move to another school entirely, all because of Marissa. Now, I think it's kind of interesting that in this little friend group of four, one of the four, 25%, was drama royalty. And I I asked Shelby about this. I mean, just give me a rough estimate in high school. How many do you think would be drama queens? And Which, by the way, the reason I'm wearing this this morning is because this is a gift to me from from my daughter because she's going to UT, which is really kind of cool. And uh, she just, well, so she assumed that even though I used to go to Baylor, and my son's going to Baylor, that I would love to wear burnt orange. So when, she, when I opened the present, my first response was, <coughs> no, actually, no. But I asked Shelby, drama, how many do you think are drama? Oh, about 25%. Later that day, I talked to an adult man who will remain nameless, and I said, well, just with regards to people you're around and work with and all the rest, and he said, actually, the percentage of drama people is, is higher than that. I don't know what the percentages are. I just know in our society we do deal with a lot of drama royals. And what we do get reminded of from this little story from Irene and Marissa is drama royals have basically four things in common. You're going to find these in different proportions. But when we talk about drama royalty, we're talking about people who are always their own focus narcissistic, have to be the center of attention. They over-dramatize everything. And that is, if you ask them, hey, what did, what did you think of this on a scale of 1 to 10? 90% of the time, the answer ought to be a 4, 5, or a 6, right? Because if you think of the bell curve of reality, most of the time reality is in that 4, 5, 6 range. But if you ask a, a drama king or a drama queen, what do you think of this? On a scale of 1 to 10, their answer is 0 or an 11. It's just off the scale with regards to actual reality. They can't process or face reality appropriately. They also gossip. There's never been a negative thought they couldn't share immediately or a negative word that they didn't immediately post it on social media. 
And then, of course, there's the grudge holding, the inability to let go of what was behind and to press forward toward what is ahead. All of those things characterize drama royals. And it's interesting, the Bible does talk quite a bit, especially in the book of Proverbs, about narcissists, about people who are very self-absorbed, self-obsessed, and have all of the qualities that go with that self-absorption and self-obsession. We're going to look at one passage in particular. This is Proverbs chapter 1, verses 11 through 18. Let's go ahead and stand out of respect for God who's speaking to us through his word. We're going to read through this and then make some comments or observations after we're finished with the reading. Starting with verse 11. If they say, come with us, this is the father talking to the son, giving advice. If they say, this group says, come with us, let's set an ambush and kill someone. Let's attack some innocent person just for fun. Now, here we're really dealing with a narcissist because they're not asking what's right or what's wrong, what's good or what's bad, what's mean or what's nice. They're just simply asking, what can, what can we do to have fun? You know, all they're concerned about is the enjoyment of the moment, and they don't really care how their actions are impacting anybody else. Verse 12. Let's swallow them alive like shield, whole, like those who go down to the pit. We'll find all kinds of valuable property and fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot with us and we'll all share the loot. My son, don't travel that road with them or set foot on their path. Because their feet run toward evil and they hurry to shed blood. It is useless to spread a net where any bird can see it. But they set an ambush to kill themselves. They attack their own lives. God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Now, from this text, we, we see at least four truths worth noting. In the first is there are people in this world who really are that bad. There are people whose decision-making process comes down to basically two questions. Will the result of my actions benefit me? And can I get away with it? Don't be naive. I really want to say this to those of us who are younger and not experienced enough. Don't be naive. There are people that are really this simplistically bad. You've got to be careful. You've got to learn who you, who you can trust. Number two, to the person addicted to the rush that comes from the chaos of the extremes, evil is especially attractive. There actually are people in this world who go looking for evil. And they will create a mess because their own house, their own heart, is chaos. Elsewhere, Proverbs talks about this. This is Proverbs chapter 11, verse 27. The one who searches for what is good seeks favor, but if someone looks for trouble, it will come to him. There are those who actually go looking for trouble, and they always find trouble because they're the trouble that they bring to the situation. They can't help it. They look for trouble, they find trouble, they create the trouble. And if you look at the life of the drama king or the drama queen, you're going to see along the path of their life all of these wounded and nearly dead bodies just kind of scattered all along the road of their life. Number three, the trap they set for others often gets them. Did you notice this verse? I love this. It is useless to spread a net where any bird can see it, but they set an ambush to kill themselves. They attack their own lives. In other words, these people are just just crazy. They're just plain nuts. You set up trap out for a bird if the bird sees the trap which it will see the trap it's not going to land in the trap but these people will set the trap and then knowing that they've set the trap and where they've set the trap they'll step in the trap and they'll snare themselves this is this is wild but this actually happens i uh, noticed a few years ago actually it's a year and a half ago the taliban blew themselves up i thought this was kind of interesting there was a, a group of at least 11 of these taliban fighters in this group 
And, and they drove over a landmine, which, of course, exploded their vehicle, and several of them died, and others were injured, injured at least 11. And what's interesting is the IED that they ran over was one that they put there themselves. And you think, well, that's just, that's just crazy. That's exactly what Proverbs is talking about here. To, to call these people bird-brained would be a compliment. Elsewhere, this is Proverbs chapter 5, verses 22 through 23. It explains, a wicked man's iniquities will trap him. He will become tangled in the ropes of his own sin. He will die because there's no discipline and be lost because of his great stupidity, which I'm really glad that's a biblical word, but I digress. Uh, number four, be careful with whom you walk. Now, if there are people in this world who actually make decisions along the lines of, well, is this going to be good for me and can I get away with it? And if there are people in this world who actually go looking for trouble and they always find the trouble... And if these people who go looking for, for trouble and they find the trouble trap themselves and blow themselves up in the process, you don't want to be near these people. That's largely what the dad is getting at when he says to the son in verse 15, my son, don't travel that road with them or set foot on their path. You really got to be careful to take a different path than the path of the fools because fools go looking for trouble they find the trouble and they trap themselves in the process you don't want to be near them proverbs 4 18 through 19 the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn shining brighter and brighter until midday but the way of the wicked is like the darkest gloom they don't know what makes them stumble when you're on the right path things get brighter when you're on the wrong path things get darker and darker and darker so when it comes right down to it, the consistent direction that we get from the Bible, in particular from the book of Proverbs, is when it comes to dealing with drama royalty, avoid them. It's not just a permission, hey, you don't have to be around them. No, the direction that you get is avoid drama royalty. And you say, well, Ernest, that doesn't sound very nice. I mean, you know, I'm, we're supposed to help these people. Look, God can deal with people at certain times in ways that you can't. So let me just ask you this, and I'm not trying to be unkind or too pointed, but look, when it comes to somebody who really has their life revolving around them, they're truly a narcissist, and their big questions are, can I have fun with this, and I don't care if I hurt other people, and so is this going to be fun, and am I going to get away with it? Do you really think you're going to win with that kind of person? Do you really think you're going to win with somebody who cannot face reality, who, uh, who assesses reality in a way that it's always just off the scale. You think you're going to win with that person? You think that you're going to positively impact someone who is fundamentally a gossip. They, they can't control their mouth, their lips, or their tongue. They can't help but just post every thought that comes into their mind on social media. Do you really think that you're going to be victorious in helping to influence a grudge holder? Someone who cannot take the truth and will hold on to everything and can't move forward. You really think you're going you're gonna to win with a drama queen or a drama king? No. So the biblical advice consistently is you, you, you avoid them. And sometimes that is a legitimate option that's available to you. You've got the drama boyfriend or the drama girlfriend. You don't have to stay there. You've got the drama employee. You don't have to put up with that. You've got the drama friend of circles. Find another circle of friends sometimes you it, that is an option that is thoroughly available to you if you know it's drama stay away from it 
On Wednesday, uh, no, actually it was Tuesday morning, I was with a, a prayer group and I asked the people in the group, when it comes to the people who've influenced you poorly, the ones who have kind of done damage to you in the friendship, they've either advised you poorly or they didn't really care about you or they took you down a wrong path. How long did those friendships last? To a person, no one could say longer than a year. A few months to a year. I think generously, maybe a couple of years. And so you don't trade your future for someone who is not even going to be in your future. If you not, you say, well, how do I know they're not going to be in my future? Well, if they're drama kings or drama queens, they're not going to be. How do you know they're not going to be in my future? Because they don't care about your future. That's how you know that they're drama royalty. They don't care about your future. They just care about their own future. And that's why you know they're not going to be in your future. So don't trade your future for someone you know isn't going to be in your future. So when it comes to drama royalty, it's real simple. You avoid them. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. You're saying, but Ernest, you don't understand. I can't avoid drama royalty. It's, it's in my family. It's in my workplace. It's in my neighborhood. I can't just avoid drama royals, to which I want to tell you, stop arguing with me. No, I'm kidding. That's not really what I want to say. Actually, no, you've got a point. You're right. You can't. There are drama royals at work. There are drama royals in your family, which is why some of you have a hard time navigating Thanksgiving and the holidays and family reunions, and you don't even do family reunions anymore. Maybe your whole family stopped doing family reunions. I don't even know. But you have a hard You can't just avoid drama royalty because if it's at the 25% range, I mean, you're going to have some of that over here and over here and over here. It's going to be kind of unavoidable. And some of you have learned a few strategies like, I'm not going to give them ammunition like Irene did for Marissa. I'm just not going to give them this because I want to give them the benefit of the doubt, but I just know that if they had this information, they're going to do something with it that isn't going to help me. And you've kind of learned. You've kind of learned to keep your distance. You've kind of learned to guard your heart. You've kind of learned to sort of manage things internally, and that's about as far as you can go. Okay, I get it. You're right. There's going to be a certain amount of unavoidable drama Because drama royalty exists in every sphere of our society. Okay, I get it. So maybe the way we're going to spend the rest of the morning, I think what would be the most appropriate thing, would be to ask, how can I reduce the drama in my life so that I have more resources or more capacity to deal with the unavoidable drama? How can I get rid of the avoidable drama so as to have more resources at my disposal to appropriately handle the unavoidable drama? I think that's a good question to run with. So we're going to run with that for the rest of this morning. How do I rid myself of the avoidable drama in my own life? That's we're going to spend the rest of this morning. And we're going to turn our attention to the Apostle Paul, who many of you know, opposed Christianity for a while, then he met Jesus, and then he became an advocate for Christianity, and he planted churches. And then when he planted churches, he'd write letters back to these churches. And we have some of these letters. And one of the letters we have is a letter he wrote back to the church in Ephesus. We call it Ephesians. And in Ephesians chapter 5... Verses 15 through 17, we have some great advice, some great direction. And here's what the Apostle Paul says. He says, be, be very careful then. And uh, we're coming in, obviously, to the middle of a conversation. Be careful then, therefore. But he says, be very careful then to live. And many translations will say walk, because that's the actual word that's used, walk. Because life is one step in front of another, in front of another. Be very careful then how you walk or how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. And the question is, okay, what does it mean to live carefully, to live wisely, as opposed to carelessly and unwisely? 
And, and we covered this several years ago when we did a series through the book of Proverbs. But basically, to be wise is to recognize that there are connections. That this dot is connected to this dot and this is connected to this dot. Everything is, is woven together. That there's a fabric of reality. And that's why we pay attention to what God says. Because he created the fabric of the reality. And he can tell us how all of reality is webbed together. But basically, a wise person recognizes that what I do today will will be my yesterday, which in some respect or another will be connected to my tomorrow, or put it a little bit differently, my present becomes my past, which will one day show up in my future. Wise people know that, and they acknowledge the connections. And that's why Paul says you've got to be really wise, be very careful, because everything you do is connected to everything else that follows thereafter. There's a cause and effect in life. And that's why some of you, when you were younger and a little less wise, you had this weird thinking where you thought, one day I'm going to stop doing this and this. But for now, I'm going to do this and this until maybe one day I get married. Or I'm going to do this and this until one day I graduate from high school or graduate from college. Or I'm going to do this and this until I get a job. And then, and then the day came when you got married or you got a job or you graduated from college or whatever the case was. And you didn't stop doing this and this. You know Why? Because you thought, strangely, that today is today and tomorrow's tomorrow and they're just disconnected. You thought reality was you can live in this room for a while and then when you want, you just step into another room and flip the switch and it's just going to be different. That's not how reality works. That's why in the book of Proverbs you see the path talked about. You walk a path, you're going on a journey, you're taking a trip, it's one step after another. You've got to be careful how you walk, because if you walk one direction and you find out you've gone in the wrong direction, how are you going to get back on track? You've got to go all the way back to where you were, and that takes work. It's not a matter of, I'm just going to take a step sideways, flip on the switch, and I'm in another room. That's not how reality works, because everything is connected to everything else. And so it says you've got to be careful. You've got to live as wise people. And then he says, you've got to make the most of every opportunity. Now, this is a wonderful phrase because in the King James, it says redeeming the time. That's actually a more accurate translation because the word for opportunity, it's just the word for time. And the idea here is Paul is saying, you know, time measures your life. It's how your life is measured in time. And we think of time as something that just sort of passes by or just moves on. It's like, no, 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 this is your life. And, and, and it's currency, time, like money or like a coupon. You take that and you trade it in for something valuable, so you invest your life appropriately because if you're just letting time pass you by, not only you're just not investing well. You're investing poorly. You're not investing at all, and it's just you're, you're wasting away your life. You make the most of every opportunity. And some of you are doing really, really well in this area. You're thinking about how you work, you're thinking about how you play, you're thinking about how you do family, and you're thinking about how to use your discretionary time as an investment. And, and here's a clue for those of you who really want to live drama-free. If you do the important things in life, and important things in life never revolve around you. If, you're, if you are others-oriented, you are doing important things. And if you're doing important things, guess what? You're going to naturally intersect with other people who are doing important things. And when you're an important person doing important things around other important people who are doing important things, you're in the midst of a drama-free environment because people who are doing important things, that is serving other people, they're too busy to be busybodies. That's, that's a drama-free environment that you've kind of naturally brought yourself into. So you make the most of every opportunity. Why? Paul says, because the days are evil. 
Now, this is interesting to me because Paul's obviously talking about his own environment, his own time, and he's talking about his culture. And back in Paul's day, there was rampant wickedness and evil, and religion was not attached to morality or ethics. People would offer things to their gods. They'd pay homage to their gods so that their gods would basically just leave them alone, and they could just go do whatever they wanted to do. So you just got the gods off your back because the gods didn't care what choices you made in your life. And so in Paul's day, here are a couple of things that are really going on. Uh, one, people didn't really keep their commitments with regards to marriage. I mean, people, if they got tired of their spouse or their spouse didn't serve their happiness, they just jump into another relationship. And if that didn't work out, they just jump into another relationship. And, and at a certain time in Greco-Roman history, people would actually number the years by the name of their spouse. I mean, they just, they didn't make me happy, I'm moving on, doesn't make me happy, I'm moving on. The other thing that's kind of interesting, too, is if, if your, your child, if your infant got in the way of your particular plans, you just sit it out by the river and let it die. Seriously. If it was deformed or sick or you just wanted, you just had too many kids already or you wanted a, a boy instead of a girl, you just take your infant and you just let it die. Infanticide. You, disrespect for the sanctity of marriage, disrespect for the sanctity of life. Can you imagine living in a culture like that? That would be crazy, right? Paul's saying, if you just go with the flow, the flow or the undertow is going to take you where you do not want to go. If you're not thinking carefully, if you're not being wise about your decisions, you know where the culture that is against relationship and against life is going to take you? It's going to take you to a place of death. It's going to take you, it's going to take you under. So you better be wise and you better be thoughtful about how you make the most of your time because it's precious like money, like, like gold. You invest it thoughtfully. That's where Paul's going with all this. And then he kind of wraps it all up by saying, therefore, don't be foolish, but know what the will of the Lord is. In other words, that sounds a little weird, but it's just basically, look, since one dot's connected to another, connected to another since God created this whole thing, you better pay attention to what God says about how to intersect appropriately with reality. You need to face some things. You need to face reality. You need to be thinking about things. Don't be avoiding or evading your responsibility. Don't just be thoughtlessly floating through life. You focus on what it is that God has told you to do, and you do it because you need to make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil, and if you're not listening to what the will of the Lord is, you are going in the wrong direction. That's Paul. Now, again, the reason we're talking about all this is because we want to live drama-free lives. And 99% of the drama in our lives comes from poor relationships, poor sexual decisions, frankly, and poor decisions with regards to finances. And you look at where things are relationally, you look at where things are moving sexually, you look at where things are moving with regards to, to, to financial ridiculousness, if you will. You know if you run with the culture, it's going to take you down. It's going to take you under. You are not going to be where you need to be or where you want to go. So in every moment, with every opportunity, you ask, what's the wise thing to do? What's the wise thing to do? Not what's okay or what's acceptable or even what's moral. Morality and, and wisdom, absolutely they do intersect. But wisdom is a little bit more than this. Here, here's what I mean. If you just go through life going, what's okay or what's acceptable or what's right or what's wrong, here's what's, what you're going to be thinking. You're going to think, okay, here's this dividing line. 
on one side is wrong and on the other side is right. Over here is immorality and over here is morality. Over here is ethics and here is not whatever. You just say, here's a dividing line. And over here, no. Over here, yes. So what's right for me to do? What's acceptable? What's okay for me? If you're just asking that question, here's what's going to happen. It's kind of the human tendency. You're going to be on the right side of the line, but you're going to be as close to that line as you can possibly get. What's okay for me to do? This was the problem with the Pharisees. They were always thinking about the lines. Am I within the lines? Because if I'm within the lines, I'm okay. They weren't thinking about the heart of the law. If they would have been thinking about the heart of the law, they would have recognized Jesus when he showed up. But they were just thinking about the lines and the boundaries and how close can I get to the lines, how close can I get to the fire without getting burned. And that's a wrong way to go through life. And instead of thinking, what, am I on the right side of the line, you ought to just be thinking really simply, am I doing the wise thing? And most of the drama in your life, if you, if you think about this, and maybe you need some time to process this when you go home, but most of the drama in your life came from you not asking the right question and not answering it honestly. Is this the wise thing to do and then doing the wise thing? So you get serious about this because the unexamined life is not worth living. That's not in the Bible. It's Socrates, but it's true. So you get three-dimensional on this and you go after it and you ask the right question and you answer it. Now, what do I mean by three-dimensional? Here, here's what I mean. You can ask this in three ways because your, your present becomes your past, which shows up in your future. Ask the question, in light of my past experiences, what is the wise thing to do? In light of the last time I said yes, or the last time I went over here, or maybe it's not even my own experiences, but maybe it's my dad who's speaking into my life. What is his experiences or the experiences of other people? In light of experiences that I trust, what's the wise thing to do? And just because it's right for the crew doesn't mean it's right for you. What, what's the wise thing for you to do? Number two, in light of my current circumstances, what's the wise thing to do? Hey, you know, I, I, my money's tight right now, or I just started a new semester, or I just, you know, went through this terrible breakup, or whatever it is. In light of my present circumstances, what's the wise thing to do? And you might need to say, well, no, for now, not forever, but no for now, because here's my circumstances at this moment, and it's just not the wise thing for me to do. Then number three, and this is the most important and this is the most underutilized aspect of wisdom. In light of my hopes and dreams for the future, in light of where I believe that God wants to take me, what's the wise thing to do? Gene and I would, would talk to our kids about falling in love with your future self. In other words, what's your vision for, for who you are and where you want to go? Now, in light of where you see yourself or where you want to be, what do you have to do now in order to get there? Now, this works real simple, and we, we ought to be doing this all the time. Let me put it to you like this. Let's just imagine for a second that God's design or desire for you is that you would be professionally and personally successful in life. And that's not a stretch to imagine this because God gave you gifts and talents and a disposition, and he wants you to be all that you can be for his glory. And so God wants you to be successful in terms of your vocation or avocation or your calling, and God wants you to be personally successful. He wants you to be the kind of person, if you're married, that your spouse wants to be married to till death do us part. He wants you to become the kind of person that your children, even when they become adults, want to have something to do with. But generally, if there's drama, they don't really want to do that because as a parent, I'm pretty sure that if everything is all about you, kids kind of resist that. And if you over-respond, 
Kids kind of don't like that. And, and, and if you can't guard your mouth, well, kids don't really like that either. And if you hold grudges and you can't let go and move on and forgive and all the rest. In other words, if you're drama, when your kids get older, they probably don't really want to have so much to do with you. But, but let's just say that God's design for you is that you'd be the kind of person that everybody wants to have something to do with. And then that their esteem just continues to rise as they get to know you better, not just in your family, but in your community, in your place of work. God wants you to prosper professionally and personally. That's God's future for you. Just work with me. Let's say that's the truth. Now, in light of your hopes and dreams of the future and in light of where God wants to take you, do you think that tomorrow at work it's really going to help you to get there if you start clicking on pornography on your computer? We could we could we could ask these kinds of questions till the cows come home. It's like really, in light of where it is that God wants to take you, think, be wise. What's the wise thing for you to do? Let's take this to dating. I think this probably applies to several people here. Suppose you you got a boyfriend or girlfriend, and you're in love, and you've been thinking about marriage one day, and you know what the world says? Here's the flow of the world. We'll sleep with them, of course. That's what people in love do, and probably going to get married anyways. So do you do that? In light of where you want to be, what's the wise thing to do? Where do you want to be? You want to be in a marriage that is rock solid and thoroughly trusting, right? I mean, that's, isn't that where everybody wants? Something that is solid, that you can depend on, and where the trust is high. But you make this decision, well, I think we're just going to sleep together. And then, and then in that moment when you're sleeping together, you're saying two things to each other. One, both of you are saying to each other, you know, my relationship with God takes a back seat to what I really want to do. Um, you know, I like God and all, but he's not my master. He's just sort of my butler. He's my consultant. And so I don't submit my, my life to God ultimately, at least not when it makes me uncomfortable or rubs me the wrong way in terms of my own personal desires. And you're telling the other person a second thing. I'm the kind of person who sleeps with people that I'm not married to. Then one day you meet at the altar and you exchange vows and you think, oh, well, now everything's going to change. Really? What happens when he goes off on a business trip or she goes off on her business trip and this is the, or, or something else comes up? You've been communicating to each other for years because, remember, it's, reality isn't I just stepped into another room, flipped on a switch, and everything's different. Reality is a path, and you're walking it. You've been saying to each other for months, maybe years, hey, I'm the kind of person that doesn't submit my life to God. He's, he's in the backseat of my life, and I'm just the kind of person that sleeps with other people I'm not married to because I feel like it. You think instantly things are going to change? Really? I'm not saying that there's not forgiveness. Of course there's forgiveness. There's no condemnation. But that's not the same as saying you you don't need to walk back to where you were to get back to where you want to be in terms of creating a relationship that is rock solid and absolutely trusting. One dot's connected to another, which is connected to another, which is connected to another. What you do in the present will become your past, which will one day show up in your future. I, uh, I was reading this story about Duran Smith, who's a Christian of another denomination. And, and there are lots of Christian traditions that practice Lent, which is 40 days leading up to Easter, people swear off one thing. Okay, They'll, they'll abstain from one thing as a, an act of devotion to Christ who gave up everything for us prior to the Passion to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, okay? So he's talking to his girls about Lent, and the oldest says, I'm going to give up 
sweets. And the middle, middle girl says, well, this year I'm giving up sweets for Lent. And then the youngest, who, who has never done this before, she's six years old, she learns about Lent and what's involved and that she's going to have to give up something for 40 days. And so he can see the wheels turning in her head. And so finally she says, okay, I know what I'm going to give up for Lent. And he says, what? She said, for 40 days, I'm going to give up consequences. Yeah, it doesn't really work that way. You know, that's a good shot. Very creative. But no, it doesn't work that way. Because one dot's connected to the next, which is connected to the next, which is connected to the next. Which is why you've got to be very careful about the path you take and the steps you make. This, again, is Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 26. Carefully consider the path for your feet, and all your ways will be established. In other words, you don't have to backtrack. You can keep moving forward. So, you just ask, in light of my past experiences, what's the wise thing to do? In light of my current circumstance, what's the wise thing to do? And in light of my hopes and dreams for the future and where I think God wants to take me, what's the wise thing to do? And when you ask that question moment by moment, it's going to take you where you need to be. And you're going to live a life that's drama-free. And your life and your future are going to thank you. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Father, we, uh, we thank you for your word, and it is a challenge. And we do live in, I guess, kind of a narcissistic culture and all the weird things that go with that. We are in the midst of drama, and while drama royalty may have a place on television, we don't really want it in our own lives. So just teach us how to deal appropriately. And, and on occasion, it's a little bit difficult, especially if we care about these people, to just sort of turn them over to you. But sometimes that's exactly what we have to do. Show us in the midst of the difficult situations in which are unavoidable just how to appropriately guard our own hearts and, and, and keep our, ourselves from being slammed any more than we would have to be. But for ourselves, for what we can control, our own lives and decisions and steps, I pray, Lord, that we would follow what the Apostle Paul tells us to do, to be careful not unwise, but wise, making the most of every opportunity for the days are evil, knowing what the will of the Lord is, and then owning it, facing up to it, and being wise. Father, I don't know how you've applied this word to every one of our lives, but Lord, on those, on those occasions where we do need to backtrack a little bit, help us to own that. Help us to be wise and move back to where we need to be. Living as if one foot in front of the other in front of the other actually matters and we just can't avoid reality by stepping into another room and flipping a switch. We thank you for your grace and your forgiveness. And it's a grace and forgiveness that doesn't cut off our relationship with you, but actually enables us, permits us, encourages us to, to face reality without the consequence of losing relationship with you that allows us to turn around and get back to where we need to be. Thank you for that kind of grace that you give us, that you do not kick us off the path or dismiss us forever because we've made some steps in the wrong direction. Thank you for that grace. And we thank you for the grace that empowers us to get back to where we need to be. And we thank you for the grace that permits us to do the, to do the turnaround and the kind of grace that enables us to relate to one another with that kind of permission and that kind of encouragement and that kind of empowerment. 
So, Lord, thank you for your grace. And thank you, Lord, for enabling us just to face realities. And Lord, I pray that, that even better than having to take steps that we have to untake, I just I pray, Lord, that you just grant us the, the wisdom to trust your heart, how much it must break the Father's heart when he tells the Son, don't do that, don't do that, and then the Son goes and does it, and the Dad saw what was coming at the end, and the Son gets crushed, and the Dad said, I told you not to, but I still love you. It's heartbreaking for the Dad who loves the Son to see the Son moving in the wrong direction. It's not just the consequences that come to the Son. It's what we are saying to our Heavenly Father. We just don't trust you. You don't have our best interest at heart. Or you don't know any better. Or you're not as smart as me. Lord, help us to see you as our perfectly wise, perfectly loving Father. And to not insult you as we go along the wrong paths. And once again, we thank you for your grace that you forgive us the insults that we send in your direction when we decide to just go our own way and do our own thing, somehow claiming we are wiser than you, smarter than you, and we just can't trust your heart. Lord, help us to know who you are, that we might say no and say no effectively to the unwanted drama that we see in the culture around us. Or be with us now as we continue in worship and enable us to walk not as the unwise, but as the wise. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You stand as we continue in worship. I'll be at the back to talk with you and pray with you about whatever the Lord's laid in your heart. Maybe it's unrelated to this one.